Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Proverbs, chapter 20, verses 4 to 7. Proverbs 24 to 7. This is the word of God. Sluggers do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. The purpose of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. The righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. Amen. This is the word of God. Praise the Lord. And good morning to everybody. I think I'd really like to appreciate uh, Pastor Fred and uh, Pastor Kwesi and Reverend Dora. The recent lot of sermons we've been getting off this pulpit are powerful. I think that there's a blessing in the richness of God's word we receive from here. And we want to trust God it will continue. Today I'm going to preach about a father's legacy, or teach. I think I prefer that, that, that end of it, thank you. But I'd like to dedicate what I say especially to, first of all, the young men in this auditorium. From those who are yet to be fathers to those who have very young children, you are the special focus of today because there's space in your life to implement these things. But, but I also want to speak to Commander Alute and, and uh, Reverend Gwesi and uh, Mr. Emmanuel Ofe, uh, uh, Daniel, Dr. Daniel, the older ones too amongst us. We have to take the break off and let the foot press the accelerator on fatherhood. We are going to go faster and on a highway, not like before. And the last dedication is to the women. Sometimes you cheer for me because I seem to be advocating your cause. But today, I think I'll also bore you a chikakra. <laughs> Shall we pray? Father, you made us in your likeness. Jesus, your son, taught us peculiarly to pray to you as our father. I pray that as we call you by this name today, the genetic code of fatherhood will just be imparted into many hearts, not just a copy, but the real thing. And I ask that you give wings to these words to accomplish this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to run through a couple of father stories this morning to start us off. You find that we try as men and, and I think that uh, my wife made a comment this morning as we were driving to church that somehow it looks like men are trying more than before. You, you don't believe it. Eh? <laughs> you see more men providing for their family, at least within a certain range of societies than those who go to church. You see more men carrying their children on their shoulder whilst the mother is busy doing something else. You see more men trying to participate in homework and holding their children's hand and bringing them across the road. There is some effort. I want to believe that a lot of this premarital counseling over the last 10, 15 years is beginning to have an effect. But we still have issues. And some of the painful issues for us as men is when you do your best, you bring up your children, and you find that in spite of everything the home has provided, the child is wayward. And the struggles we have when we've walked them through the steps of the faith. But they grow up, they go to school outside, and they say, I don't believe anymore. It is confusing because we, we brought them up in the way a child should go. And my question is, could we or should we have done it better or another way? Let's hope today we find some answers. The second group is the male king who demands submission 
from the members of his household. It's a very easy fallback position to say that the Bible says wives should what? It's, it's too easy. And the real definitions of submission, the proper roles of leadership and headship are not understood. But we demand the submission. When I come home from the office, I resign from housework. It is a merjuma. Caring for children and wiping babies' bottoms is women's work. And we find that there is a struggle in the heart of women to yield to the Bible because of the way we conduct ourselves. We hear cases where husband and wife are both contributing salary to the upkeep of the home. They force and build a house or buy a car, but the man drives the car and the woman takes a taxi. Or trotro. I, I hear some of you like Uber more than. <laughs> the papers of the house are in your name. And when you pass away, and you will, what protective walls have you put around your woman? If she takes you to the court of heaven on the score of the accountability for your headship, what kind of charge will God lay against you? Third scenario, it's not all bad news. A friend of ours lost their house help in a very tragic way, sickness plus beating by husband. And they took this child, the child of this woman, as their daughter. They moved her into the bedroom of their own daughter. They took her to the same schools. She caught up in English and maths. When it came to her turn, she joined the line of those going to college in Canada. They paid all the fees. She was taken as their child. We met the child who graduated uh, last, this, this uh, past May. A full US college graduate from somewhere, some Lulu village in the north. When she goes home, her life has been transformed. They have planted a legacy in somebody else's child that she would never have had the opportunity to take. And my question is, what message was sown in the lives of their own children, their own three children, from participating in adoption and lifting up of another life that was not their own? There are many good legacy stories around. And I want us to aim to be part of it. Let's take a few lessons about legacy. Every day, we are writing our legacy on the pages of 24 hours. Every day. The Bible verse that we started with is verse 4. Because I found it had a peculiar relationship to the verses 5 to 7. And it says that, a sluggard does not plow in season. So at harvest time, he looks, but he finds nothing. In the legacy issue, there is the law of sowing and reaping. If you don't do anything, you will not reap anything. Laziness, foolishness, and ignorance do not create a godly legacy. And excuse me to say, some of the attitudes we men take into childcare and parenting carry those three characteristics. You don't know what to do, you are foolish, so you lay aside your responsibility, and you are lazy, so even though you know, you, don't, you do not carry it out. I want to introduce a thought. It's a lesson about legacy that it depends on the qualities of a man. That will be coming out in the rest of the verses, but who you are is the foundation of your legacy. It is not what you have. A quick scan of scripture. Look at the legacies of Abraham, Moses, David, big stars in the scripture. Look at the things that they did or which God used them for. 
Ask yourself a question. Who here remembers what they had? Where was Moses' house? Airport residential area. What was his bank account? What investments did he own? What kind of suit or, or, or magazine? What's that uh, magazine that they show famous rich celebrities? The, the Ghana, the West Africa, Nigeria produces. Oh, ovation. Would Moses have appeared in ovation? What we remember them for is their personal qualities. A man after God's heart. Somebody who met with God face to face. Somebody who was called God's friend. There's a lesson in it we need to hold. That the things that we are chasing after do not create legacy. You can give your children all the houses and all the money and all the education. If they don't have from you a certain quality of inner being, they are lacking seriously in carrying what you give to them. So let's go into the scriptures, verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7. Each of them brings a message. I want to read it from my Bible, because the modern Bibles, they try to make it his and hers. But we are speaking to men today. So let's take the men one. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters. But the man of understanding draws them out. Verse 6. Many a man claims to have unfailing love. But a faithful man who can find. Verse 7. The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. We are going to look at these three men. Their qualities every man should aspire for. Let's start with the verse 5. The man of understanding. And it brings up an image. It says deep waters. I want to use a polytank to illustrate this deep waters matter. When you fill, how many of you have cleaned a polytank after 7, 10 years of use? <laughs> so you know what, where I'm headed. When you fill a polytank, the water comes in, but there's no really true pure water. There are things in them. And it's somebody has read their face like this. <laughs> the water pours, it pours, years pass, and layers come in the water. So you take the water, and it looks clear because it's just a small cup. But as you, if you put beside your polytank a, a glass line, like a window, and you, you look at the top, it's clear, it's nice, it's presentable. But it's go down a little and you see a few particles. And then you go down a little and it's getting slimy. And then you go further down, there can be worms and dead things lying at the bottom of the tank. And it smells. Now, the Bible is saying that the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters. When we look at each other nicely dressed at church and greeting each other nicely during the, I haven't seen you for a long time, we're looking at the top of the tank. But when you start examining a person's life, you start to see the less presentable things. The Bible is saying that don't walk with human beings on the basis of the top of the water. God deals with us at the bottom of the tank. If that is true, I want us to look at the prodigal son and understand this illustration. There's something called reaching the heart of your child. You do not father on the outside, at the top of the tank. A successful father who wants to make a legacy is working into the bottom of the tank where God works. And you need to recognize that who you are is going to be the only tool you personally have in relationship with God to get to the bottom. If you consider that life 
stirred this boy's polytank. Hmm? Life put its thumb inside of desire, uh, disrespect, and started staring. And the thing came out, and the boy says, I want my money, and I'm going, loose living. Did the father do a bad job? What went wrong? He had another son who was obedient, disciplined, helpful. But this boy set off, and it happens in our lives. I suspect that the father worked on outward obedience. The father was working at the top. That's where the children could register. Later on, you saw the other son too. The water started coming from the bottom when he was angry with the party when the man came back, the boy came back, this son of yours. But the question we should ask is why did the boy come back home? There was something about his father in the inside that called this boy home. Somehow he had touched the heart of this child in childhood. So that after all the mess, the boy said, there's something about my father that makes me want to go back. And we want to develop that something knowledgeably, hardworking, and sort it out that we are deeper about fathering than the top of the tank. Another thing that it points us to is integrity of heart. David is a fantastic example of that because we can all identify with his weaknesses, his sinful nature, his faults and problems, and his successes. But it is a quality God chose David for. Integrity of heart. Something is true about this, this, young, this boy in the wilderness with the sheep. Something is true about him as a warrior against Goliath. Something is true and deep about him when he refused to kill Saul, even though he had him piffy. What? How does one get integrity of heart and uprightness so that God can look at you with favor and God can plant promises in your life that affect the generations of your children? So let's hold on to the man of understanding. He reaches, he sees and reads the heart and he deals with it. And go to the second quality, verse six, the faithful man. To this man is associated the matters of love. And the Bible opens up discussing him with the fact that many, many, it's common, many people claim to have unfailing love. I want to focus many men. And I want to ask the ladies a question. How often have you met unfailing love in your life? Usually it's mouth. You meet it when they are wrapping you. Isn't it true? All the promises that are possible come out. I will do this for you. I will lie down. I, I will sweep. I, I <laughs> My salary is all for you. As for you, dear, you are my... Go on, marry and see. <laughs> that journey from courtship and romance to marriage, what happens to us men and our love? Why does it evaporate? And then we start claiming the kingship, the headship, the, the, what, uh, the leadership. I am the man. What happens to us? So the Bible is right. It says a faithful man. My goodness, who can find? That is one of the most painful statements about men in scripture. A faithful man, who can find? What makes faithful men scarce? Today we want to Listen to God and change the story. What does a faithful man's love look like? 
his first position from which he takes faithfulness is in relationship to how God sees him. So Joseph faced with this, the raps of a woman. Now it's not the raps of a man. The woman says, mm. <laughs> Let's be frank. How many men here would be faithful under those circumstances? But this man who takes his faithful love from God, he's seeing what God does for him. He, uh, he has received it and he understands it. He tells this woman in the face, I cannot do this to my God and to my master. That is the root of faithfulness. And if you get it, you will win every time. If you don't get it, then you are depending on willpower, training. They are very weak things under those circumstances. <laughs> the second person we want to look at to understand the love of a faithful man is his wife. Every man here has had conflicts difficulties, disappointments in marriage. What was your reaction? What is your present reaction? Have you resigned? Have you slowed down? Is the temperature of your love life underwater, below zero? So the woman and the uh, worldly king that we spoke about in the examples, let's take a look at their issues here. Jesus says that our concept of kingship, leadership, headship must change if we know him and the love he has for us. It is very important for us to recognize that the world's view of leadership influences us as men at home. So when Israel wanted a king, they said we are tired of the prophets and of God's direct leadership. We, we too want a king like the world, if I can paraphrase it. Give us a king who behaves like the other kings. And God warned them. He said, the king is a taker. Please note that. He's a taxer. He collects. He does not give. That's how worldly kings are. And that's how we men are at home. Give me, give me, give me. But what about this way? And Jesus says, not so with you. The standard of Servant leadership is the standard of the husband's authority and headship in the home. If you do not learn that, then you cannot give faithful love. You will always be chopping. When the, they say, well, no contribution, no chop. <laughs> Instead of being a, a contributor to the home, and sometimes I'm sorry, but even salary, the men do not share it. And the food in the house is paid for by mum. The clothing is bought for by mum. The school fees, she strains out to pay every month because she can't pay. And the children are embarrassed because when they go to school, their names are called, those who have not paid fees. But Masa passed by the kebab seller when he was coming home. And he could afford units to play on his phone, internet, deep into the night. But the fees, dear. So there's a certain responsibility that is driven by faithful love. And we need to learn to stand in it. The third group of people we look at concerning faithful love to understand it is the children. And this habit of, I'm tired, go to your mother. And when it comes to discipline, go to your mother. When you are busy and you want to go to town or so, and the children say, you promised to take us out. He said, yes, but business. Those countings 
affect the legacy of your child. And I said you are writing it every day. Every day you are writing legacy. The book of your life, its pages are filled with these types of negligences. There is a father who is a rock in a home. Around him, the home is frameworked, built and strengthened. He exercises loving discipline knowledgeably. He knows how to discipline a child. The cane is not a means of discipline. It is a means of punishment. It has its place. But the business of discipline has to do with creating the rules of the home, the duties and responsibilities, the things that, that we do at seven and the things that can be done at 10. The structure of the home should be built by a faithful, loving father. And then he exercises authority to ensure that those things are worked out justly, fairly, within the structure of his kingdom. And if he has to kneel on the floor for fun time, for the kids to make him an elephant, amen. They enjoy you. You bring fun, happiness, and control to lead them in the ways of righteousness. The third person is in verse 7. The righteous man. He is characterized by the fact that he leads a blameless life. Outwardly, he's got his tank set right. <laughs> he does what is right in the output. He says what is right. His children are blessed after him. There is blessing means happiness. Sometimes when we feel that if we put discipline in the home, we'll make the children unhappy. And sometimes Young men, we don't like the discipline, yeah? Discipline brings blessedness and happiness. So we had a young lady working on, for a contractor on a field, big project, and she was the project leader, she was an engineer. She struggled, it was not in her field of experience, she had not learned the disciplines of professionalism, and she went on and on and on, every day we'll be correcting her, straightening out, jostling her, and her heart had integrity. She took it. When we finished the project and they opened the, the, the opening ceremony and there was pageantry and so on, she was dancing. She was so happy. And I told her, you see what discipline has done for you? It has brought fulfillment. She put it on her Facebook page. Discipline brings fulfillment. And that is what we need from righteousness. So when you're taking shortcut corners and behaving on the edge of morality and ethics, and they say this thing is not good, but you're asking why is it not good? When you start leaning in those ways, you're going into indiscipline. And, and it will bite you. Your sin will find you out. Life is not free. It, it calls for wages. That is the character of sin. So righteousness brings a blessing to your children. But I want to point out that the legacy issue related to righteousness has to do with time. A couple of verses in this passage bring it out. It says that you have to learn, it says, his children are blessed after, you see that word, after him. After means you are gone. Your life has ended. You are now not able to contribute. But somebody is chopping a blessing from you. Legacy is generational and it involves time. And you have to learn to measure those aspects of your limitations. The sluggard that missed the season. He didn't plant. So when harvest or legacy time came, he missed it. There was nothing. When it was time for him to have invested, he went to town. He chopped the seed. He did nothing. How will you feel like looking down from heaven at your family, your children, your church, and you did not sow? 
when it was season time. So eternal destiny becomes an issue with righteousness. And legacy looks to eternity. We can do good things for our children now. The righteousness can be benefited from now. But what good is it if they gain the whole world and they lose their soul? So this righteousness that is being spoken about here has not only to do with good righteous acts on this earth, but it also has to do with the clarity that there's a certain righteousness that breaches into the future of eternity. And that righteousness is the faith that comes in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that by faith, Abraham was credited with righteousness. By that same faith, we also are saved. If you do not own that faith that saves and leads you into the doors of eternity, you can't show your children that door. So there are many good people who've done wonderful things for their children and whose children on earth are wonderful people. But at the door of eternity, there's no key. There's no opening. If you know, then you are at fault if you don't take the steps to show your children the key to eternity. And the righteous man is invested in the eternal things for his children. So I want us to go into applications. How to up your game, to, to up the, 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 your story as a legacy person. And I want to emphasize that every one of us has one incredible gift to use to, to build legacy, and that is the gift of choice. You can choose. The sluggard could choose, so can you. Choose to stop and understand. How many of us have ever written New Year's resolutions or made them? Let's see by hand. New Year resolution, have you made one before? You come round to the next year. <laughs> hey, what, what happened? I haven't done anything. And I want to suggest to you that when we run in life, which is what we are basically doing, we are running after the things of the world. We are running after life as the world defines it. When you run, you usually go around in a circle. It takes discipline to run in a straight line, that you're going somewhere and it's targeted. That's what an athlete does. That's what a successful businessman does. And that is what a father should do. You know their destination and you're running towards it. If you don't know, stop and determine the map to where I'm going you will go around in circles in life. So, learn to stop. A lot of us as Christians are running. And we are running in so-called spiritual things. We are here, we are there. We are, we are witnessing, we are, we are going for prayer meeting. We are everywhere. But where are you going? If your life came to an end on the steam of your running, where would it take you? What, what would be your actual legacy? I want to share a personal testimony here. Many years ago, I was a deacon when I was in Tessano Baptist Church. I was a deacon, I was a head of Ashes Board, head of building committee, member of the pastoral council. I was plenty. <laughs> and I discovered that on Monday morning, I was exhausted. Sunday and the week before had expended me. I couldn't do anything. I was declining at work and I was going around in circles. And I determined that I'll do one day off. Monday is off day for me. That day I stop. I study scripture. I pray. I read. I ask God to talk deeply to me. Polytank bottom. A lot of my strength and growth as a Christian came from those Mondays. 
and clarity about where I'm going. Things I had in that time have become map milestones for me. When I'm lost, I go back to that road and I check the milestone. And I want to encourage fathers and men, learn to stop. Second, learn how to understand. We read the scripture, we have our devotions, we read magazines and books, but a lot of the time, we have not developed the ability to understand. God has given us as Christians special gifts by which we can learn to do this. The gift of the living and active word of God that penetrates between soul and spirit. It goes to the bottom of the tank and the layers of waters within our hearts and it distinguishes them. It shows us what is acceptable and what is not, what is, should be rebuked and changed, and what should be built up and strengthened. And if you invest in using that word of God with the second gift, the leading of the Holy Spirit, who gives us discernment, understanding, insight, so that we can weigh issues, we can establish standards different from the standards of the world, we can weigh the motives within our heart and therefore by these experiences we are enabled to look into our children's polytanks and be able to do the same and to gain insight into God's will and purpose for your child's life positions us as fathers to really help them on this eternal destiny road and in the matters of normal righteousness. The second, so apart from choosing to stop and understand, we also need to choose to turn up the gas. Let me explain. When your food is in the freezer and you bring it out and you need to warm it up, you turn up the gas, isn't it? When things are uncooked and can't be eaten or used, we put them on fire, we turn up the gas. But there's also an illustration, if you use the American Antidora, the American gas, <laughs> gas is petrol. Your car is in neutral gear and you're not using the accelerator. Da, brake, everyday brake, everyday brake. Men, because of the strength of your woman and your inability to handle her, Certain hurts, griefs, disappointments have cropped into your relationship and you put your leg on the brake of the marriage. She likes this. It's a break. Quiet time. Together. Break. Please, let's take our foot off the brake. We are men. We are not children. We have equipment for courage and strengthening. And it is necessary for us to learn not to zip our mouth because our wives know how to argue. Emma, are you hearing me? Yeah, I don't. But don't put a bucket of water on the fire of the romance in your relationship to close it because you can't handle it. You are a man. Let us take the trouble to turn up the gas. Let heat come in the relationship. <laughs> I, was, I was saying that if your marriage were like a car and you were sitting in that car, usually it is stuck in traffic of many cars like that on the marriage highway going nowhere. Are you content to be in a car like that? To spend your whole life in a traffic line going nowhere? Please, turn off that highway. Look for the adventure of marriage, you and your wife in that car, and find new ways to explore tourism and marriage tourism. <laughs> explore the countryside. Go into places by the beach, uh, uh, the, the north, the east and west of the country of, the, of your marriage that God has given you and make your marriage exciting and interesting. 
Us is not easy. Men, here's an interesting one. <laughs> you see, the marriage is not good, but at night, whoa ho. want to turn up the gas, please, fast from that. Two weeks, pour the romance in her life. She'll start melting, wondering. After a while, she's dizzy. She's not sure what, what is going on. And then she'll call you. Young men, have you heard? Pre prepare, prepare to be fathers in, in the real realm. We can exercise the disciplines necessary over our personal wants and desires to create something special in the relationship. We will be blessed from it. But let's not go for this cheap, for, forgotten, uh, watered down standard of marriage. We are climbing mountains. The last group is adrenaline at home. We exhaust ourselves on the job. Everybody has our attention, our yes. Home has our no. I'm not available. I'm tired. I want to watch TV. No, you can't do it. I don't have money. Keep adrenaline for home. The same thing that takes you into the boardroom and job hunting and seeking that next contract. The hustle you go through outside, save some of your strength for when you come home because it needs strength. You've got to be able to give time to check the homework, to see if they are doing well in school and read the reports, to help them dress up, to read them a story before they sleep, to laugh, tickle, joke, to hug mommy, and make time to listen to her day, those things need strength. And if you've exhausted it outside, you are cheating your family. Create a framework for loving discipline, for a home of fun. Turn off the TV. Look for creative ways of making the home fun in replacement to cartoons and old films. Have adventures. I took my children camping on top of a hill with a group of their cousins. We stayed, we borrowed a tent and stayed at the top of the hill and they learned how to cook in the bush and how to go to the loo in a healthy way in the bush. <laughs> They've never forgotten it. We sat in a trotro together because I said, I may not always be available for you with the car. Oh, daddy, how can we do that and so on? <laughs> they sat inside. And the boarding school is helpful though. When they went to boarding school, they changed car. Now it was a fashion to use trotter. Daddy, I won't ride in your car. But I had sown something in their life. When you hear all these things, you still have one more choice to make. Are you going to go for hay or gold? When you turn up a fire in your life, God uses that fire to burn the chaff. Suddenly, the things that seemed important are not so important anymore. Things that have low enduring qualities. PlayStation. PlayStation is, is hail. <laughs> it comes and it goes. It can be used for good things. But when it dominates a child's life and the child grows up and becomes a father and you see the father doing the seven-year-old, competing the seven-year-old for the PlayStation, you know that there's some chaff going on. It takes turning up the gas to come to the place where you are choosing gold. Gold usually comes as an ore. We rarely get it in the nature, in the form that it's a load, a, a piece of a nugget, like they used to sweep in the Gold Coast. We are Gold Coasters, we are spoiled power. My mother said that when she was a child, they used to sweep gold dust on the beach. You collect it and take it home. It was cheap. If you've been used to good things, don't take them for granted. Go and look for awe. 
put fire in the ore and you get out of it nuggets of gold. If you want to be a great father, you've got to learn how to turn ore into gold. That process itself builds something in you. It creates character and strength by which you can impart deeply into your children's lives. Those processes are like a father with a bow who begins to stretch this, the bow with the arrow of his children in it. He points it towards eternity. Please don't point your children towards wealth and fame and popularity. Point them to eternity and pull, 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 pull to full strength. By the time you are leaving this earth, you leave the arrow and it is flying in the right direction. Your gift of personal righteousness is a gift of gold to your children. If we finish, God created and calls you to be a man of understanding. And it's characterized by your ability to have heart motives that are approved by God. The Bible says of, of a man, it says, this is the man I esteem. The one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. That's the qualities you want in your polytank. It talks about a man of faithful love. Your standards of relationship are very high. You do not play with relationships. Most wealthy, successful people in the world tell us that it doesn't mean much. It is the relationships that you have sustained and built in your life based on love that really count. And it is those things that you'll be held to account for. When the Bible says that love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength, and then it says, and love your neighbor as yourself, don't take it lightly because you'll be judged on that standard. If I go into eternity, I want love, the most excellent of things, to mark my faithfulness. And lastly, a man of righteousness is a man of eternal destiny. You're very clear about it. And if you're here and you don't understand how to use that key, at the altar call, please listen carefully. There's a righteousness that comes by faith. It is a gift of grace. And if we find it, we are able to pass it on to our children. What is your legacy choice? There's still time. What a blessing. There's still time. You are not dead yet. To sow and to reap. Young men, there's time to sow and reap. Begin to learn these things now. Don't wait till you marry. You are poor equipment at that time. Learn it now. The older men, there's some young man waiting and hoping to be encouraged by you, to pick friendship and learn that he can lean on your shoulder. You'll tell him, hey, this thing, don't go there. Don't go there at all. They need our experience, even if it isn't a very high and wonderful experience. That friendship and love and faithfulness to work at it can be an encouragement to somebody. And lastly, set it in your heart to bless your children to go into eternity. Amen. This morning, we're grateful, Lord. We, we pray that we will trust and obey. We pray that we will be disciplined enough to put this word into practice. Lord, we pray that it will not be another Sunday sermon. No, Lord. That we can have a change of heart. 
and change of actions. Lord, help us. We need you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our trust is in you as we strive daily to live for you. Especially today that we commemorate Father's Day. Lord, let us be your representatives on this earth. You are Father, our Father in heaven. Yes. Let us live lives that will represent you as fathers on earth, that our children will have faith in us as they have faith in you, that our children will trust us as they trust in you, as we live to the mandate that you have given us. Today, we ask for strength. We ask for wisdom. We ask for direction. We ask for your blessing, that we will be fathers, that will emulate you, that will bring glory and honor to you. Today, I pray for every father for sustenance. I pray for every father for riches. I pray for every father for strength, for wisdom, for knowledge, for understanding, for hope and trust in you so that we will live up to our mandate and our calling as fathers. Bless us today. And as we live in here, Lord, we are not living in your presence. Let your presence go with us wherever we go throughout the week. Let us be able to become overcomers in all that we do. Let us continue to be victors and not victims in this world. So that at the end of the day, we can say glory and praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we all share the grace together? And by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Go in peace.